Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. To this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today we're catching up with a supremely talented former star of the Melbourne Football Club. Brad Green played 254 games and kicked 350 goals over a 12-year career that also saw him captain his beloved Demons and win a best and fairest. A gifted sportsman from Tasmania who could have pursued a career in any of three different sports, Green chose footy and Melbourne and the AFL were far richer for it. Brad, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Sammy. How are you going? Hey, I'm going very well. We appreciate your time today. I've got to ask you, after what was a decorated career, which we'll obviously get to shortly, you are now a Melbourne supporter like so many others. And I imagine seven rounds into this 2021 season, you're a very proud one. Oh, yeah. It's a, um, you know, it's, it's, when you look back and um, you look back on your career and, you know, I spent uh, 12, 13 years at uh, the Melbourne Footy Club and, um, when I when I left, I went into coaching and uh, spent a couple of couple of years at a, a, a couple of different clubs, and you sort of come back and um, and, and now I'm in my uh, a part of a, a business. So it's you know back being a supporter, it's uh, it's a different space to be in, but I'm certainly enjoying the journey this year. Um, there's no doubt about that. Is the lid off? <laughs> Mate, the lid's never off. We know that better than anyone in sport, but uh, things can change very quickly. Um, and I think all Melbourne supporters get nervous uh, week in, week out. We never think we've uh, we got anything over the line being a Melbourne supporter because things can change. And, um, it's a funny world sport, but um, it's you know you try and try and keep riding it when you can. Gee, yours is a fascinating journey in sport, and and that's even before Melbourne take you with pick nineteen in the ninety nine national draft. Let's go back. Where's home originally? Where did uh, Brad Green grow up? I was born in uh, Launceston, Tasmania. Um, I grew up in a place called Georgetown, which is uh, 50 k's north of Launceston, um, straight up the Tamer River, east, east Tamer. So I go up the Tamer River and basically on the on the point of the Tamer River and Bass Strait um, is where Georgetown is. So that's where I grew up as a kid all my life until I got drafted at sort of 18, 19. And um, I spent my, my school um, going to, jumping on a bus at sort of seven 
a.m. every morning and getting to school at 8.30, so an hour and a half on the bus to Lonnie. Um, I, I went to Launceston Grammar, so that's where I spent my sort of junior years um, playing sport. Um, sort of, I started off, you know, I lived across the road from a lawn bowls club, so um, I still remember playing lawn bowls <laughs> as an eight, nine-year-old because Dad played pennants, and I enjoyed that, and then really got into my soccer and cricket as I was growing up and, until footy came along when I was about 15. Yeah, well, so lawn bowls aside, there was no Oz kick back then. So soccer in the winter, cricket in the summer. And I reckon, was it by your early teens, you were making state sides in both cricket and soccer? Yeah, so, yeah, basically, you know, cricket was was, was my summer sport and um, and soccer was my winter. Um, yeah, the big passions. As I said, my, my father grew up as a sort of a, as they say, a local legend playing for Georgetown and North Launceston. And he was back in his day. He was a, he was a full forward, and you know, kicked sort of a hundred goals a season um, for about six or seven seasons. So I used to go and watch him play. I, I loved AFL and footy back then, um, and kicked it in the backyard, but never actually played. So that's why I, I played soccer when I was sort of seven and eight, and played all the way through um, my school life basically. And um, yeah, represented the state in, in soccer um, from the sort of the age of sort of 13, 12 to 13, and then the same with cricket all the way through um, was was doing the same. So, um, yeah, I got to travel a lot. Mum and Dad said I, I cost them a fortune and probably cost them their holiday house in the end. <laughs> but, um, you know, they travelled a lot with me and, uh, you know, I, I certainly um, enjoyed all my sports um, back then. I was just a mad sporting nut that loved everything. Yeah. And with cricket, you obviously played in the state under-15 team, but you were picked to play for Australia. You travelled to England with the uh, under-15s for the World Cup. And I think you captained that side as well, didn't you? Yeah. So, so looking back at, on cricket, I uh, was playing underage, um, playing underage in, in the cricket um, for, for my state, got picked in the um, Australian under-15 World Cup team. Um, then captain uh, the World Cup in England. Who were some of your teammates uh, in that team, Greeny? Do you remember? Well, uh, not anyone that really went on and played uh, state or Australian level. But as I was right. growing up, um, sort of Shane Watson, Michael Clark, um, Brett Lee, um, those were some of the names coming through as I got a little bit older. Because then I played um, under-17s for the state, under-19s for the state, um, then I played second 11 before I got drafted. So my highest level of cricket, I played second 11 um, before I got drafted. And then I got picked in an under-19 Australian squad as I got drafted to go and play in, in New Zealand for the World Cup. And I actually asked Melbourne the day I got drafted and said, can I just go and play in the World Cup and then I'll come back during pre-season <laughs> fair, and come fair, back to training. So. Fair to say you didn't quite appreciate the demands at the time. Of the footy, no, but, but. I think, uh, so yeah, so... You know, I loved cricket. I was a, an opening bat, sort of a slow, medium pace bowler, but um, uh, batting was certainly my forte um, back then. Amazing. And, and at this time, soccer was coming on as well in your mid-teens. Now, I know the links to Manchester United have been well documented, but I just want to go through it. So you were playing in Sydney under-15 national championships when a talent scout that uh, was in the area from Manchester United obviously approached your coach, and, th- and then it went from there. Yeah, that's correct. We're playing in a... Um, a national championship, Park Lee. I don't know if you've ever heard the, the training soccer complex, Park Lee, mm-hmm. out, out in New South Wales, out in Bankstown. And, um, yeah, that's correct. Um, Ken Morton, um, he's uh, he's an English coach who came across the Tasmanian and coached 
a lot of my representative footy in soccer in Tassie, and he got approached. He had um, and got asked, and we talked to mum and dad, would he do it? So I said yes, and they said yes. So it was uh, 95, 96, or might have been 96, 97, one or the other. I went over late January, so sort of before school went back. Um, I was there for three months, um, trialling with Man United. So when I, when I mean trialling, it was, it was basically with a youth team. Mm. So um, the youth academy um, is, 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 is a setup that I was sort of been asked to trial for. Um, spent three months there. I'm not sure if you know much about the youth academy setup. I think it's a great way to um, even you know our first year players at AFL should certainly go through an apprenticeship. It's sort of like you know they're spending full time um, athletes even at sort of 16. Um, back then over there and they go to school on Thursdays. So it's highly committed, highly professional. Um, you know, everything from you walk in to, for breakfast at the cafeteria and you've got to clean up um, David Beckham and um, Paul Scholes and Ryan Giggs' bowls off the off the table. Then you go in after, before they go out, you've got to wash wash their boots and make sure they're polished. Um, yep. Clean all the showers down after the day. The, you know the seniors have their own change rooms and reserves do the youth team do. And you got to wash it all down. So it's a full apprenticeship that they go through. Experience all that. Um, so yeah, I did. You know, the first day I, I walked into the club, I landed in Manchester. Um, I went to the Cliff. If you know the old training ground at Man United, yep. there's a place called the Cliff. Um, and my first meeting was uh, with Sir Alex. So Alex took me up to his office and. Um, his first chat was wasn't about my soccer, or was was more about my background, where I'd come from, Australia. He knew a lot about the country, um, and Tasmania. So it was an interesting first. Uh, I still remember it like it was yesterday that um, Sir Alex takes me into his office and asks me and says good luck and um, blah blah blah. And yeah, spent three months there. So the end of the three months, basically got to the stage where um, they said, "Yes, you're good enough." Um, to sign you, basically, it's a lot harder to sign international players. You've got to get on international visas, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't have um, an English ancestry to basically get an access quicker than, than most. So we had to go through a full process for me to go across there to get it done. Um, so they sent me down to a club called Walsall, which is sort of their, their offside club, Walsall, which is, I think now they're like Div 1 or Championship. Yep. Um, can't really remember. They sent me, me and United sent me down there to, to Walsall, and it's a bit like going from, let's say, Collingwood um, as a big club in Melbourne down to Vermont. Um, I'm not bagging Vermont as a as a footy club, but it's, mm. you know, I'm saying professional AFL club to um, a you know a, a suburban club, which is still professional. These guys get paid, um, they get paid well, but it's a bit sort of like that mentality. People understand here in Australia, and went down there for sort of three weeks. And at that stage, as a 15 year old travelling overseas by yourself. Um, all alone, your parents didn't come with you. By that stage, after three months away, I sort of started to get a little bit homesick at 15. Mum and Dad's ringing me going, no, no, stay, stay. Dad goes, I'll move over because um, Walsall said, I want to put a contract in front of you and make you stay. Um, I said to Dad, no. Um, I was going into year 10 at that stage. I said, Dad, um, I'll, I'll come home, finish school, um, year 10, 11, 12, and then if I'm still committed to my soccer, I'll, I'll give it a go then. Um, so that's sort of how it happened. They, you know, they put a contract in front of me. I said no, turned them down, came back to Australia, and that's sort of when I started uh, getting into Aussie rules. 
What a head spinner. 15 years of age in Sir Alex's office. I can't imagine what that w- was like and how nervous you must have been. And what did the car park look like at the cliff? Would it have just been um, Range Rover, Bentley, Range Rover, Bentley? Mate, you wouldn't believe it that uh, I was there for, as I said, you know, two to three months. Um, and David Beckham, without a swear of a lie, he, I reckon he brought in 10 new cars. <laughs> and in my mind, every day I walked in, and you just stare there and watch Beck's drove in. And that's, um, people probably think I'm making this up, but um, the cars that he drove in were unbelievable. And that was back in the mid 90s. Um, and as a 15, I was in, in, uh, in awe of him. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting experience, once in a lifetime opportunity. And, um, you know, he's, he's still, still have got fond memories of it. So um, yeah, it was, it was sort of. Uh, you have to kick yourself sometimes to say that happened. Yeah, incredible life experience. But then when you came back, obviously, for the reasons you mentioned, I know you still dabbled in it, but that was pretty much basically the end of the round ball pursuit, wasn't it? It was. I, I sort of tried to play soccer, football, and cricket all in the one space. And, and as kids would know and teenagers would know, um, it starts to get pretty challenging because everyone's trying to pull you in every direction. So cricket sort of wants you to, to get you for more time. Soccer wants to pull you one way, and then footy started, and, and I really was only really playing school football then, and they they were pulling um, to, to commit more time to that. So it was just it's just basically sitting down and, and looking at um, life and where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do, and and I sort of you know let the let my sport do the talking, and um, and in the end I, I chose AFL and, and footy, which I totally have never had any regrets of of, uh, of of choosing that sport. What a position to be in. Yeah, listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Up next, one down, two to go. A young Brad Green, well, he decides between football and cricket. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're with former Melbourne skipper Brad Green. Well, Brad, incredibly, you didn't really get into footy, as you touched on earlier, until you were about to leave high school. How did it finally come to pass? Yes, I had um, my schoolmates at at uh, Lonnie Grammer, basically, um, as we do, as, as boys do, they go go out and kick the ball at recess and lunch and, you, you know, markers up or whatever they call it these days. You kick the footy end-to-end and you have packs of 15 trying to take hangers on everyone. And um, and in the end, you know, the, my mates are saying, you know, come down and play. So year 11, I played my first game of footy. Um, I played seconds footy in year 11. Um I played sort of three or four games because I was still trying to play soccer. Um, so on, on a Saturday, um, I think I was playing some soccer on Sunday. And Saturday, I played seconds footy. And um, for my school, I ended up one day kicking six and centre half back. I don't know if I did too much defending, which probably a lot of people thought I didn't throughout my AFL career. But when you kick six and centre half back, um, people sort of stand up and go, wow, how'd you do that? I didn't know what I was doing because I didn't understand the game. Um, I only knew it by watching it, but you know, game sense and getting out and playing was a bit different. So I played five or six games of seconds. We ended up winning the flag that year in the seconds. Then the next year, year 12, because I was, I was young for my grade, so year 12, 
Um, my year 12 year was um, I played first footy and played throughout the year and was playing with North Launceston. And that year um, I played statewide under-18s um, for North Launceston. And then I ended up playing so school footy. So I dropped soccer in year 12 because um, I was just, um, you know, burnt out with it all. Um, so my last year of school, um, BCA, which is Victoria, which is the same sort of equivalent in Tasmania. So year 12, I was playing school first footy, played under-18s for North Money. Um, we won the state final, which is a school similar to APS final. We won that. And then under-18s, North Launceston seniors called me up to play finals. Um, so I played under Matthew Armstrong, who played at North Melbourne, and ended up playing in the grand final, losing grand final to Glenorchy, which had sort of players. Brendan Bolton was in playing for Glenorchy back then. Yeah. I think, no, sorry, Brendan Bolton was playing for North, which I played with. Um, there was um, a couple of other players that had played AFL. So I played as an 18-year-old in that state final, um, which, which then got on the road I think, of, of AFL teams. But then the year after I left, so I still wasn't eligible to be drafted. I could have been drafted to, um, as a 17-year-old back then, if you remember back in those days, you could get picked up as a 17-year-old in year 12. I got an opportunity in an interview with St Kilda. Um, John Beveridge was a, a great um, legend recruiter, um, asked me to come across and meet Tim Watson, who was coaching at the time. Yeah. Um, and went in for an interview. John sort of said, this is, um, introduced me to Tim. We sort of had a um, brief chat. Um, I think Tim had seen me playing a couple of videos and said, uh, we're looking at you for the uh, 17, uh, well, 17 um, draft as a 17-year-old, picking up as a 17-year-old. And, um, you know, basically just went through an interview process and then I went home to Tassie and looked at the draft and I didn't get picked up. I was a little bit disappointed, but, you know, that's hence the breaks. I think they picked up Troy Schwartz as a 17-year-old back then, if you remember Troy Schwartz. Yep. And then um, the next year, I was still eligible to play TAC Cup. So that was uh, 99. I played uh, Mariners TAC Cup, and I did some um, work for AFL Taz um, my year after I, I finished um, looking. I, I was headstrong in getting drafted by then. Um, I was still playing cricket because um, that's what I was doing in summer, and I was working for AFL Taz. So I played a season of TAC Cup, playing cricket in summer. Um, it got to draft day, um, and I, a week before the draft, end of 99, before the draft, um, as I do, you go through all the draft combine and everything. Rod Marsh rings me mum and dad up and said, um, coming into 99, would Brad be interested in coming across to Adelaide and, and being um, the intake of the Cricket Academy <laughs> um, in 99? Um, this was two weeks before the draft. <clears throat> Basically, I said to mum and dad, if I don't get drafted at the end of 99 to an AFL club, I'll go. Um, so I had the opportunity. I just was banking on one or the other. Um, yeah. In the end, I got to, if I get drafted, I'm going. If I don't get drafted, I was going to the cricket academy. Um, yeah. That's where I went. Pick 19 to Melbourne um, in 99. Well, it's amazing because at that time you were in the under-19 Australian cricket squad as well. So you were still going beautifully with, with that particular sport. In the end, as you say, Melbourne took you at pick 19. And as you touched on earlier, you did try to take part in uh, the championships for Tasmania and play in that World Cup, but the club put a stop to that. L- looking back now, Brad, how often do you reflect on these sliding doors moments? And between soccer, footy and cricket, you're obviously comfortable that you made the right choice? Yeah. Um, yeah, totally comfortable. You know, I'm a big believer on um, 
things happen for a reason. Um, you know, I've had a few life changes over the last few years, and um, you know, I, I believe sort of changes and, and the decisions that you make is you only look forward because there's certain things that you can sit on in life and dwell and and think about the what ifs. Um, but um, there's a tangible reason why what I did my my thought process about either getting drafted to an AFL club or, or going to the cricket academy, I was, I was thinking to myself, I, I win either way because I love both sports. And that was my thinking. You're with This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Well equipped with so many life experiences at a young age, a teenage Brad Green rips into AFL life at Melbourne. That's next. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with former Melbourne star Brad Green. Well, Brad, 20 games, a starring four-goal role in a qualifying final upset of Carlton and a grand final spot. She was a fair debut season. Yeah, it's a, um, amazing. You know, you get to an AFL club and you think, uh, you know, how good is this? You, you turn up, you're never expecting to play, but you're, you're hoping that you enough to one day um, get a get a game, and you know I, I still remember playing back in the days at Anzac Cup. I think I um, played out at Waverley against the Saints. Um, I think it was my first sort of um, pre-season game, and then um, round two, two thousand, um, I made my debut against North Melbourne. And I still remember it because back in the late nineties was you know North Melbourne were the Friday Night Kings, and um, I still remember watching North Melbourne all the time back in Tassie, laying by the fire and. And watching, you know, as they were back then, a, a fantastic side. Wayne Carey, David King, Anthony Stevens, Glenn Archer. You know, superstars um, were still playing in 2000. And I still remember back then, and it's not like the rotations now. Back in those days in 2000, the rotations were about 19 or 20. And uh, Neil picked me around to 2000. I reckon I came on, didn't come onto the ground until about halfway through the second quarter. I think the Wizards must have needed a rest or something. So you know, I waited till halfway through the second <laughs> to get on the ground. And I reckon I spent five or ten minutes just basically being in awe. One being at the MCG, two under lights. And then all of a sudden you see Sutton Grant, Wayne Carey, David King, Glenn Archer, all fight past you. And you go, Brad, you better wake up and get a kick here. Otherwise you're not going to get get a kick the next week. So, yeah, um, amazing to make a debut. And then that season was you know, unbelievable sort of ride that we went on and, um, you know, into the final series against Carlton um, was still the most unbelievable game I can recall throughout my career. Um, the noise and the way we came back to, to win that game was extraordinary. It was Just got the ball where he needed to and again, it's green. This time, though, the angle is very, very tight. He stands with a margin at 15. And now it's reduced! What a kick from the young Brad Green! Oh, it's easy being Green! Very slick. Mansfield kicks into a teammate this time. It comes back to Green. He snaps at his fourth. But I think he's got it. Four since half time. You know, like 75, 80,000 the G were down by, you know, I think it was 20, 28 to 30 odd points going into the last quarter. 
um, and to get over the line and put us put us straight into the prelim was was unbelievable. And then yeah, to play in the grand final, um, but unfortunately not winning it um, was you know I thought how good's that for your first season and. We thought it would just happen all the time. You think once you play in a grand final that they're just going to play roll on. And uh, how silly of mindset was that? I think you're going to play another one. Yeah, that qualifying final, it was 21 points at three-quarter time and your demons slammed on seven goals to two to win it in the last. Must have been exhilarating. And the grand final against Essendon, uh, they'd only lost once that year, the Bombers. First quarter was tight-ish and you kicked an early goal, but after that, not so much. Uh, what, what are your memories of grand final day? Well, Grand Final Week is one of the most extraordinary experiences that um, you can have in your AFL career. You know, everything from the the Grand Final Parade to the um, to the last training session. I still remember the training session at Junction Oval. There would have been ten to fifteen thousand supporters just in the ground, um, just cheering on the last training session. It was was unbelievable. The Grand Final Parade and then the, the Grand Final Day. And I think being eighteen, nineteen, you sort of take it for granted. You sort of um, this is a bit surreal and as a senior player you'd probably think and soak it all in a bit more but as a young player sort of you know you, you're a bit uh, you're a bit different when you're younger you're not you're not as um, I think you're just playing on those, those emotions of, of grand final week but yeah I still remember grand final day um, I only played the first quarter of the grand final it was the first bounce of the day Jeff White um Mm. Smashes the ball out of centre bounce, and um, I ran into Dean Wallace's elbow, which uh, split my esophagus um, straight down the windpipe, which That's cracked right. it, and uh, it blew my neck up. Um, so I played sort of 20 minutes of that quarter with it, and I went to the doc at quarter, quarter time. I said, "Doc, I can't breathe." I, I literally went to him and said he couldn't breathe, and he took me down to the change rooms, and then they said they were about to do a tracky on my throat just to release all the pressure that I had going in my throat. Jeez. Um, so yeah, I only ended up playing a, a quarter of the grand final. And what stands out in the memory now? I guess Brad, among your more cherished moments, is it playing finals like like the qualifying final? Is it is it winning the best and fairest of twenty ten? Being named captain the year after, you were international rules captain as well in twenty eleven, which w- would have been a big honour. I mean, what lives on with you now, years later? Um, good question. You know, there's a lot of memories, certainly. You know, finals is what we play for. Um, finals time. Um, you know, unfortunately, I didn't have the ultimate success. Success, and we all, as an AFL footballer, we want to win the flag. And um, I didn't do that. You know, the ups and downs of Melbourne Football Club. My first sort of seven years was everyone knew it was Melbourne up one year, Melbourne down the next, Melbourne up, Melbourne down, and it went like that. Brad Green has kicked three goals today. He is the best kick in the Melbourne side, Gary. Left Three goals, four in fact, and this is a tough kick. Five metres inside the boundary line. He's got to cover 40 in distance. That might be a problem. Kick off way to win the game for Melbourne. He has nailed it. Green's kick four. There's a minute and eight seconds in the game remaining. Demons back in front. Okay. Oh, you want to put that down to pressure kicks, then um, put that one right up. Well, that's as good a kick as you see ever go in a pressure situation. And then you look back on the sort of last five or six years of my career when, you know, after Neil left um, in 07, I think it was, um, and then Bales came on and, and what the club went through through that period. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of mixed emotions. You know, there's, 
there's some certainly fantastic times. There's certainly some angry times, um, emotion and emotive, um, but more more highs and lows. Certainly, um, I look back fondly of the Melbourne Football Club and and really proud of of the footy club at the time, and still am. So, I don't know if I could pinpoint one thing. Is um, when you look back, I just you know was really proud proud to play so long for um, historic footy club. Still really proud to play um, number of games that I did, and um, I, you know, I, I hold nothing but um, great pride in doing that. So it, there's a lot of mixed emotions, but the highs certainly out farther to the lows. There's, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, I, I guess unfortunately for you, after 2000, you, you'd only play in another two finals wins in in the next 12 and remaining years of your AFL career, and there were some tough times. You touched on the back-to-back spoons in 08 and 09 would have been tough to deal with. And, and I wanted to ask you how close you might have come to leaving the club at the end of, of 2008. Was that ever a possibility? Yeah, there was. Um, 08, I think it must have been after Dean's first year. Um, yeah, I'd spoken to uh, three big clubs that um, approached me. I, I went and had meetings with Sydney, Carlton and Collingwood. Um, and I probably got the closest to leaving to the Pies. Um in with Nick and Eddie was certainly um, the closest that I ever got to leaving the club was certainly um, that period. Um, but in the end, um, loyalty is a big thing with me. I got to Barclay halfway through trade week and I walked into Dean Bailey's office on a, I think it was Thursday before the Friday and just said, mate, I can't do this anymore. I want to sign, I want to stay. Um, and it was just eating me up the more I thought about leaving that... Um, I was leaving the club when they were at their lowest um, and I wanted to help them get success. And I think that that's the reason why I stayed. Um, you know, I, I could even think regretting that 2010 where Collingwood won the flag, 11 they made the grand final. What could have been if I decided to leave? But, um, you know, loyalty was a big thing. It still is with me. Loyalty is massive. Um, I wanted to stay. I wanted to help the club. In the 12 months after you stayed, of course, we had the tanking scandal of 09 and the AFL investigation. The club was cleared, but obviously then Coach Dean Bailey and the football boss Chris Connolly were found guilty of, of related charges, you would say. To what level did this fracture the player-club management relationship, do you think, Brad? Uh, yeah, huge. I think um, it, it set the club back sort of 10 years probably. Um there's some, certainly some hard times, and you, you know when you with any football club um, when things go on that um, that shouldn't go on. Um, it really did set the club back, and I think we're only still um, pulling our way out of those things because um, they're, they're lasting effects. So yes, it did set the club back. Um, it wasn't a nice place to be around in those times, and but as players, we we don't really get affected by all that. You, you know, you, you say you get out and play, but we don't get affected. But I think sometimes you do because it's just a compounding um, fact. It's always in the media, always people asking about it, um, constantly referring to it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of twofold. Um, but certainly it did put the club back a long time. And you were appointed captain in 2011, which is an honour for any player, of course. But you only served for a year because the incoming coach, Mark Neal, chose 
to replace you with young co-captains, Jack Trengove and Jack Grimes. Now, Trengove at 20 actually became the youngest captain in VFL-AFL history. Certainly not the two Jacks doing, but how seismic was this as a mistake? Yeah, it was, you know, when, you, when you're looking at leadership, doesn't matter if it's business or sport, um, I think the club and the coach back at the day thought it was, they're looking to the future, um, and they probably thought that the old guys that were still there weren't part of that, and they wanted to build leadership. And look, you totally understand if um, you know I was still playing and we can help them, but you know it probably set their careers back. You know, both of them um, didn't have long careers in the AFL. I reckon they, they bore the brunt of the footy club, and it's really hard at a young age to take on that role and responsibility. And leadership's hard. You know, it's not for everyone, and especially at twenty to, to put that. Um, on on a kid like uh, Trans, and he's a great kid, he's a great fella. It certainly was a tough period for, for him and the footy club, and an injury was compounding with both of them. And um, Yeah, I don't think it helped their careers by doing that. And I guess what transcends all of that when it comes to the footy club and beyond is that you lost two great blokes in and amongst it all, and Dean Bailey and obviously Jim Steins to cancer. How do you remember them, Brad? Oh... Dean is uh, him and Neil was certainly a big part of my um, my footballing life. Um, Neil is you know what he's going through with with MD, MND at the moment. Um, he's a great mentor and um, was my first coach. And then Dean, being Dean, um, you know the club in in essence. I still remember the day that. We went down to that wretched day where we got beaten by 186 points. I was captain on the day down in Kadinia, um, down Geelong, um, and Dean got the sack the next day. I still have great regrets over that day, mm. you know, being captain of the day and um, seeing our football club getting beaten by that much. And then the next day, the coach gets the um, gets the lemon and sauce. He gets a boot. It's um, you know being captain of the club, holding a leadership position. I still feel great responsibility of that. Um, so that still burns, and you know, the Dean, the, the way um, he he was, he was a, he had empathy for his players. It tactically, was very strong. Um, knew the way the game should be played, and um, it was just a, a time and a place that um, the club and certain the hierarchy thought that he needed to go. But you know, fond memories of Dean. Um, he would have been a superstar of a coach, and probably should have got. Um, if he was here, I'd imagine there'd be someone would have snapped him up because uh, he was terrific. And Jim, Jim, what a uh, he was the guy that sort of got our club back going again. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, any player to come from Ireland to pick up a foreign game, um, to get dropped by the club, go back and play at Paran and get picked up by the same club again to then win a Brownlow. Um, you know, he's got some fight and ticker, Big Jim, and we saw it through through his illness. Um, and, you know, he's an inspiration, and I think he's still an inspiration for our current day captain, Max Gorn, now, and what he um, told Max when he presented him his jumper and what he goes through. And um, Jim, is, Jim is looked upon as one of an icon of our football club and will always be um, a true great of our club. And... Um, not only as a player, but um, as a president, um, he was exceptional as well. We're talking to Brad Green on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Tragically, death has also very much touched Brad Green in retirement. We'll talk about that and his new life after this.
You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Former Melbourne star Brad Green is our guest today. Well, Brad, I, I just can't begin to imagine how you and your two sons, Oliver and, and Wilbur, dealt with the tragic events of May 2019 when you lost your wife, uh, Anna, and, and your boys, who were then aged just seven and nine, lost their mum. Can you take us through May 2019 and, and what happened and, and your memories of it? Yeah, mate. Uh, oh, what, what a tragic loss. Um, you know, to to see uh, a partner. Anna and I have been to, together as as um, boyfriend and girlfriend, and then married for for a long time. Um, you know, we were coming up twelve years in uh, twenty nineteen. We were married, and you know, we had two beautiful children. And yeah, it was an interesting time where um, Anna had gone in for for eye surgery. Um, she had a detached retina in her eye and um, over the space of 48 hours um, she had consequence she had two other surgeries post that and brought her home and she basically from that she st- um, started not to feel great she shortened her breath um, really felt really strange and um, so I sort of rang the doctor straight away and um, I had to go down and get her some tablets and my mum rings me and, and says that um, Anna's collapsed and um, I've called the ambulance and I said, is she okay? She said, yeah, just rush home. So what had happened, Anna went into cardiac. Um, subsequently from that and collapsed in the bedroom and um, my mum was giving her CPR until, CPR until the, uh, I think the fire is the first ones that turned up, the first responders and then the ambulance was there. And we sat there, I walked into my bedroom, it was a bit like a, um, a bomb had hit it, and as people would know, it's pretty traumatic to see your wife in um, like that. And I went outside. Um, my boys had um, been taken by the neighbours at that stage, and I sat outside. My mum sat with me, and we didn't know what was happening for you know three or four hours. They were trying to keep her alive for a couple of hours at home, and they uh, they finally got her um, her heart going and said that she was. <coughs> Um, in a coma but sort of conscious and had taken her to the Alfred but um, subsequently from from that um, two days later um, speaking with with all the all the doctors which are you know it's a credit to um, all the all the ambulance people that work at first responders the fireys the ambulance people um, I can never thank them or think how hard they have a day in day out for what they go through and what they see um, but then at the Epworth, all the nurses and doctors there were, were absolutely fantastic. And two days later, um, basically, they they came and saw Anna and the family and um, said to me, basically, that um, Anna's severely, she's severely got brain damage from the cardiac. Um, she went for a period of lack of oxygen to the brain and from that cardiac um we don't think she'll survive. So two to three days later, post that, um, we had to basically switch off all the machines and um, she died peacefully um, sort of 15 hours later um, from that. So, yeah, certainly 
you know, certainly one of the hardest things. And, um, you know, I, I still don't think I'll ever get over it. Um, but, you know, for someone to um, pass away at the age of 40, is, uh, he's too young. Um, and, you know, for my boy to go up without their mother, um, you know, we're, we're still going to have our challenges. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a sad story, but one that, um, you know, should be looking down fondly, saying that the, the boys are happy, they're in a good place, and, um, you know, Brad, um, keep teaching them and being a leader of them and, and keep bringing them up the right way. Yeah, because I mean, I imagine for you, you got you, your thoughts immediately turned to your boys, of course, quickly. I imagine, but then you've got your own untold grief to deal with. So I just can't imagine how difficult it would be for you as a, as a father and um, and a husband to process it all. Um, fast forward, Brad, to the here and now. I mean, how do you ensure that Anna is still part of the conversation around the house and the presence? I guess as the your boy's mum, while obviously um, having Katie around your new partner and having her as that motherly figure, if you like, to the two boys. Yeah, I, I, I think you sort of, you spend, um, you know, I spent sort of six months there thinking, you know, where's my life going? What am I going to do? You, you feel, you know, it's, it's a weird space that you're in. You go from um, putting the kids to bed at 7.30 and then you all of a sudden you, you lay on the couch by yourself and you're going, where's, where's my life going? Mm. But um, what you do, you have a sort of a switch moment in your life and, um, when you're, you're talking to enough people, and I, I've got enough support and mentors to say, Brad, Anna will want you to wake up every day. The sun comes up, smile on your face. Got to get going. You've got to get yourself going for one. You know, got to look after yourself. Got to get yourself going, and then you got to look after your boys because they're they're going to get up no matter what. They're going to be energised every day because they're kids. You know, they're going to be. Um, you know, but but we had to talk through it. We we still talk about mum. We still got photos of mum around. Um, we talk about her on, on key dates, um, Christmases and her birthdays and, and things that sort of, you know, she's coming up to her um, anniversary of, well, it's not an anniversary, but her, her passing date is coming up in the next few weeks. So, you know, those those things are still key to us. Um, and, yeah, and Katie's been a key pillar to all that. Um, she's been a sort of a, a, a rock in me, um, a rock in my boys and, you know, it's it's really hard on. I'm, I'm hoping people understand that it's really hard with you know they're 11 and, and 9 now to have to grow up in life without their mother and and now to have a motherly figure as Katie and um, to get on with life and you know it's 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 nice it's it's great to see they're happy they um, they're really comfortable with Katie and her being in our life and um, you know it makes me happy that we've sort of found someone in our life to should never be Anna. But she's a, a beautiful person that sort of um, will be there for them um, and care about them. And um, you know, women are totally different to men um, in the way they nurture um, as as people, and um, it's nice for them. So no, it's great for them. Um, you know, it's 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 certainly tough. On you know, Mother's Day is coming up this weekend. Mm. Um, you know, there's there's certain moments in in your um, in a year that certainly make it harder than um, than others, but um, yeah, we're doing as well as can be, um, which is which is nice. Yeah, I mean, there'd be reminders everywhere, wouldn't there? But uh, look, from, from looking at you, you, you look as happy as you can be, which which is which is great to see, as you as you say. And just on the two boys, Oliver and Wilbur, are they as sports mad as their dad was at the corresponding age? 
My uh, Ollie, Ollie's eleven. He's he loves his footy, loves his cricket, loves his soccer. So yes, he's uh, he's full bore into that. Bit like Dad, I can't. <laughs> I've had a few broken windows and balls <laughs> in the house, and um, I can basically I feel like my dad telling me off in uh, where I can play a ball, where I can't play a ball, where I can kick it. <laughs> but um, Wilbur's a bit, bit, bit different. He's a um, he loves his trucks and Legos and diggers and cars, and um, you know he's uh, he's doing what he, he loves, and Ollie's doing what they what he loves as well. So you know I'm, I'm not one to push them in any direction. I just hope they're happy. Brad Green, uh, it's been a pleasure to catch up today. I mean, you were as talented a young sportsman as there gets, and despite the roller coaster nature of the career you eventually chose at Melbourne, you never stopped giving your all for the Demons. Away from all that, glad to hear after everything you've been through, which is far more than anyone should have to go through, that you're going as well as can be expected. Well done on all you achieved. Uh, it's so good to hear you and the family are doing well. Best of luck for the future, and thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Sam. It's been great to talk to you. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate the life of another sporting icon. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.